You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. And if you'll open up your Bibles to James chapter 3, we're going to step right into the message. But while you're doing that, I have a question that I would like to ask you. Listen carefully. Um, Have your words, has your tongue, have ever the, the, the words that your tongue formed ever gotten you in trouble? Really, it sounds like you don't. You know, you you always speak the right thing. Let me ask that again. <laughs> Honesty, okay. Have your words ever come out and they got you in trouble? Listen, I think I can confidently say for every person in this room that there have been a time. There have been times, multiple times in our life, where we've spoken words and we realize, uh oh, I just did it. I am in trouble. And somehow you wish you could take those words back and you realize that it is just not possible. Well, if you were here the first week of this study in the book of James, you may recall that I warned us all throughout this study, James was going to challenge us. James is confronting us. And we're going to find that especially true today because James is challenging us about the power of our words. He's challenging us. He's confronting us about the power of our tongues. I want you to think about this. Um, Our tongue weighs approximately two ounces. And I verified this, okay, because I thought that can't be right. Our tongue weighs about two ounces. Our tongue consists of eight muscles that help it move around in our mouth. Um, It's about four inches long. It helps us to chew. It helps us to taste. It helps us to swallow. And it helps us to articulate words. Are all those things true? Yes, but also our tongue is used for deceit and it's used for destruction. Our tongue can devour. Our tongue is like a sharp sword at times. It backbites, it flatters, but it also poisons. Some have referred to the tongue as a beast. And it's the beastly nature of the tongue that James actually confronts in James chapter 3, the 12 verses that we're going to look at today. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12. I want you to listen to some of the words that James uses to describe the tongue in those 12 verses. In verse 6, he says, the tongue is a fire. Again, in verse 6, he says, it's a world of evil among its parts. In other words, the tongue has the the ability to bring destruction to the entire body. In verse 8, he calls it a deadly poison. Again, in verse 8, he refers to the tongue as a restless evil. In verse 9, he says that the tongue both blesses and curses. And in verse 11, he says it's a fountain sending out two kinds of water. Are you in agreement with me today that there is power in our tongue? There's power in our words. Are you in agreement? Okay, I want to illustrate that with just a a quick story. It's a true story. Um, A young man by the name of Yosef. Uh, Yosef was um, uh, an altar boy in the Catholic Church. One particular Sunday for Mass, he was tasked with um, carrying the crystal pitcher of communion wine up the aisle of the church to place it on the altar. Uh, As he was walking up the aisle, when he got to the altar, he tripped and he dropped the the pitcher of communion juice. The pitcher broke, there was glass everywhere, and there was wine everywhere, all over the altar. 
He asked the priest for forgiveness. The priest stood and instead of giving forgiveness, he said this, get out of this church and do not ever come back. Well, Yosef took him at his word. Not only did he never come back to that church, but he never stepped foot in a church for the rest of his life. As an adult, he changed his name to Tito. This man was Tito Marshall, the dictator of communist Yugoslavia, and under his leadership, countless thousands and thousands and thousands of men and women were annihilated. Another young Catholic altar boy from Peoria, Illinois, he also was tasked for Mass to take the crystal pitcher of communion wine to the altar and place it on the altar. He was both excited and nervous, and because of that, he too, when he reached the altar, he dropped the pitcher. The pitcher shattered. The communion wine went everywhere. The the bishop was sitting nearby. The bishop got up from his seat. He walked over to the microphone, and I want you to listen to what he said. Dear people of God, our altar boy, Peter, has given us a wonderful example of God's redemption and grace. Is there anyone here who hasn't had an embarrassing experience, a disillusioning experience, a shattering experience? Peter, thank you for this illustration. Thank you for reminding us that when our lives are broken into a thousand pieces, there is a God who can bring resurrection out of our crucifixion. Peter, the truth of the matter is that God is going to put your broken pieces back together and make you stronger. Peter, I confess that as a young boy, I also dropped the communion pitcher one day. Think about it, Peter. I dropped the communion pitcher. You dropped the communion pitcher. I'm a bishop. Maybe someday, Peter, you will grow up and you'll be a bishop. Well, this man's full name was Peter John Fulton Sheen. And he did become a world-recognized bishop. He was seen by millions in the 1950s every Tuesday evening on his program called Life Worth Living. Now, could it be that the power of the words of the priest and the power of the words of the bishop somehow helped to fashion the outcome of the lives of these two young men? And I believe... The answer is yes, because there's power in our words. Words have power. And today, James brings light to this as he focuses on the power of the tongue. Could it be that the smallest and greatest troublemaker in the world is actually the tongue? Yes, I think there's great truth to that. And because it's true putting our faith to work, and that's what we've been focusing on as we're working through the book of James. Putting our faith to work means learning how to control the tongue. We must learn how to control the tongue. I love the statement. It's there in your notes. It states, the amazing thing about the human tongue is that it takes three years to learn how to use it, but it takes a lifetime to learn where and when to use it. There's so much truth, probably more truth than we could ever realize to that statement. So we're going to dive into the passage and we're going to see just how James is going to confront us as he talks about the power of the tongue. Now, today, as we read through these 12 verses, it's important that we keep the focus in front of us. Remember, 
What James is doing as he's writing uh, the five chapters in his letter to the church is he's reminding us or he's calling to our attention what true faith looks like. What true, genuine, authentic, real faith looks like. So in doing so, he's reminding us that true faith is evidenced by the words that we speak. Listen again. Our true faith is evidenced by the words that come out of our mouths. In chapter 2, James challenges with the importance of our works. And so here in chapter 3, he's going to challenge us with the importance of our words. In chapter 2, the question was, do your works match your words? Here in chapter 3, his challenge is, do your words match your words? In other words, you say... You confess, your words say that you are a Christ follower. Well, do the words that come out of your mouth match what you say about being a Christ follower? In chapter 2, his challenge was, if you say you believe like you should, then why do you behave like you shouldn't? Ouch. In chapter 3, the challenge is, if you say you believe like you should, why do you say the things that you shouldn't. Does anybody already feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit? We haven't even looked in the verses yet. And and we see the challenge in front of us. And so with that, um, I'm going to begin to read through the 12 verses um, rather than reading it all and then coming back and talking about it. I'm going to do what I've done in the past weeks. I'm going to read a verse or a couple of verses and I'm going to stop. I'm going to talk about it because I think it's helping us get the context as we go along the way. So if you will, follow along as I begin reading in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And I'll stop there. Let's talk about that for a minute. James is not discouraging us from teaching. In fact, we all have a responsibility to teach based on the Great Commission that we read about in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples. Well, making disciples, the process of making disciples involves teaching. In other words, I take what I've learned about God, what I've learned about Jesus, and I teach that to someone who is wanting to know more. So I'm passing on what I know, but it happens as a teacher to a student. So he's not discouraging teaching. However, he is um, really uh, discouraging those who um, uh, for ha- have this desire to, to rush in to, to, the, to the role of teaching. Um, as he was writing, he had this, um, this understanding that teaching came with great... Um, prominence. Teaching came with great respect. Teaching came with great authority. And evidently, he knew that the audience that he was writing to, is that there were, there were those who were rushing into teaching, even though they weren't qualified yet, because they wanted that prominence. They wanted that respect. They wanted that authority that came along with the position of teaching. In other words, they were desiring to be elevated to the position of teaching. And again, he's not discouraging the gift. He's not discouraging teaching. But he's saying teaching should not be entered into lightly because we who teach, those who teach, carry a a different kind of responsibility. The responsibility is more weighty because it's a responsibility of accountability 
that the words I speak, so I know that as a teacher, there is a very weighty responsibility that I carry. That the words that I would speak to you, the words that would come out of my mouth in any Sunday morning or any time that I'm in a teaching situation, I need to make sure that I am a, a person who has studied the word to show myself approved. That what I'm going to teach you, I have a responsibility to make sure that the words that I'm going to say line up with the truths and the principles and the concepts of God and his word. And that's what James is saying here. Don't rush into teaching if you're not qualified yet. You've got to put in the time. You've got to put in the dues. Sure, pass on what you're learning about Jesus, but don't desire to be elevated quickly to that role of teacher, not until you're ready. And then we'll go on and we'll read some more verse two. He says, uh, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Able to keep the whole body in check. Um, I wa- I, I've done this several times throughout this, this, this study. I want to read that same verse from the New Living Translation. I just like the way it says it. And just as a kind of a point of how uh, I personally study the word at times, oftentimes when I'm reading, so tip, this my Bible is a New International Version. That's what I, I, I typically read and study from. There are times... When I'm reading, when I'm studying, I just don't quite understand what it's saying. Maybe it should make sense, but it's, it seems locked up to me. And so I'll take out other reliable translations and I'll read them. And as I'm reading them, what happens is there's a word that's used differently that's accurate and it unlocks it for me. And that's kind of what's happened throughout James. And that's why I've been referring to the New Living Translation a lot. So verse 2 says, Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Hypothetically, James is saying that if a person could perfectly control their tongue, that person would be a perfect person. But it's important that we understand when he talks about being a perfect person, he's not talking about perfect as in absolute perfection. Instead, purpose is used here, and if you go back and study a little bit in the original language, it means complete, mature, fully grown. So James is connecting the control of the tongue with our own spiritual maturity. What comes out of this mouth is a measure of how we're progressing in our relationship with God. It's progressing and it's a measure of how we're progressing and becoming more like Jesus, who is the exact image of the Father. So it's connected to our spiritual maturity. So our growing ability to guard our words and to filter what we speak is evidence of our ongoing spiritual growth and maturity. Do you see the connection? What comes out of our mouth? says what's going on inside of us. It's interesting how James ends verse 2. He says, able to keep the whole body in check. And this is an expression of the power of the tongue. In other words, if we can learn to control our tongue, it's much easier said than done, right? But if we can learn to control our tongue. Now, let me go ahead and say, in ourselves, it's not possible. Have you ever, with self-will, just said, I'm going to go in this situation and I'm going to hold my tongue. I'm not going to say anything. 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 And then somebody ticks you off. They push your button and it just comes out. 
It, it just starts pouring out. In ourselves, we do not have the ability. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus working in us, there's a supernatural thing that happens and, 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 and we, we begin to change. And so if, if we can control our tongue, it means that we're in, a, in, a, in a, a, a life of discipline where we're working to control through the power of the Holy Spirit every other part of us. Um, uh, let me read on in verses. Uh, I'm going to read verses three through six to you. If I can get there three through six, it says uh, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and, and is itself set on fire by hell. He doesn't have a lot of favorable things to say about the tongue, does he? You just think he's just, he's, he's just straight to the point. Um, true to form, as James has done in the other chapters, he's given some vivid illustrations of what he's talking about. So here, he's given some vivid illustrations to prove his point about the power of the tongue. I want you to listen to verses 3 through 5 again in the New Living Translation. We can make a, ho- a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. The contrast, the comparison that James is making is that a small component of a structure has the ability to control that entire structure. He talked about bits in the horse's mouth. I just happened to have horse's bits this morning. Any riders in here? Okay, Carol, you may have to help me with this. I'm not a rider. I watch horses on television. But I do know enough about what this is. And I Googled it to make sure I was being accurate. But this is the bit here. And when this bit is placed in a horse's mouth, simply by some pressure to the left, the left, to the right, back, the rider has the ability to control the horse, the movement of the horse. This little, this little thing can control that massive animal. Carol, how much would a horse weigh, you think? Oh, my goodness. They're, um, a lot. Pounds, yeah. A lot more than us. It, it, so this, this little thing has the ability to control that, that large animal. And then he goes on and he talks about, think about these huge ships. There's just a little thing called a rudder. And that rudder... The pilot can use that to turn and, and, and to control that, that, that ship. And that's an illustration of this has the ability to really control us. It has the ability to, to determine which way we're going to go. The point he's making is that the tongue is a very small thing, but it has a really, really big impact. And that impact can be for positive or it can be for negative. There's a theologian by the name of Warren Wearsby, and he explains it this way. Both the bit and the rudder must overcome contrary forces. 
The bit must overcome the wild nature of the horse, and the rudder must fight the winds and currents that would drive the ship off its course. The human tongue also must overcome contrary forces. We have an old nature that wants to control us and make us sin. So the sinful nature is always at work. And the sinful nature always wants to attack the tongue so that we'll, we'll sin. So being able to control our tongue is evidence that our sinful nature isn't winning the battle that's been waged against us. Because, again, the sinful nature is always at work. And then James goes on and he illustrates the negative impact uh, of the tongue with the image of a forest fire. Listen to this in the Phillips translation, just verse 6. A whole, ver- a whole forest can be set ablaze by a tiny spark of fire. And the tongue is as dangerous as any fire with vast potentialities for evil. It can poison the whole body. It can make the whole of life a blazing hell. So James speaks about how destructive the tongue can be just through the illustration of a fire. Um, I just happened to have a pack of matches in my pocket. I don't typically, but I thought it would be good for today. Just real easy, simple picture. Whoops. Come on, James. Do you see just the little spark on the rough paper on the matchbox created a fire? This fire placed in the wrong place has the ability to set a forest on fire. If you've been following the news at all, you know that on the west coast in the, in the, in the uh, northern Pacific part of the, of the country, northern California, there are fires that have been raging out of control. They've, they've covered hundreds and hundreds of thousands of acres. They've literally destroyed small towns. They, they, the, the town doesn't exist anymore because the fire raged through. Guess how that fire started? Somewhere, one day, there was just a little spark that landed in the wrong place, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew, and it became devastating. Again, lives have been lost, homes have been lost. Towns have been lost. Countless acres of land have been burned because of a spark. And James is giving a picture of the power of the tongue in the same way. A small spark, but a large blaze. So he compares the tongue to a fire. Listen, uncontrolled words can cause great devastation. Words spoken in anger can destroy a relationship that took years and years and years to build. Have you ever had your words destroy a relationship? I have. It's painful. It's painful for me. It's painful for the other person. Um, The tongue has power. It might be small, but it has really large impact. Let's keep on reading verses 7 and 8. Um, It says all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of poison. Pretty straightforward. He's saying, you know, you could tame all kinds of animals. Humankind has been able to to tame wild animals, yet cannot tame the tongue. The tongue is a restless evil. 
He's saying the tongue in the natural is incapable of restraint. Again, let me ask, has, has, does everybody find that true? Again, I, I did this a minute ago. Have you ever found yourself where you're going into a situation and you know there's the potential for tension, for pressure? There are trigger points in the room. It might be in a work situation, a meeting. It might be in a family situation. But again, when you're going in, you're saying, I recognize the potential here, and I'm going to guard my mouth. I'm going to filter my words. I'm not going to speak. I'm not going to say. And you're there, and you're guarding your mouth, and you're guarding your tongue, and then Aunt Sue says it. She says that one thing, and it pushes your button, and the next thing you know, there's stuff coming out of your mouth. It's like you've been holding it back for years and years and years. And it's if you're listening to somebody else in the room spout out this volcano of corruption and you're thinking, who is that? And finally you go, oh, it's me. It's me. And then listen, we're good at making excuses. We're good at trying to validate what we say in anger. Well, somebody needed to speak the truth, and if it had to be me, even if it was in anger, it needed to be spoken. Or how about this one? I sure feel better since I got that off my chest. You might feel better, but the other people feel like crud. Or maybe it's, I know those words were spoken in anger, but maybe what I said will just help somebody who heard it. We're good at making excuses, trying to validate the words that we speak. James is saying, this, this really, this should not be. Uh, let me read on verses 9 through 12. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Simple what he's saying. We use this tongue and we worship the Lord. We've done it this morning. Oh, God, I love you. Jesus, be the center. I worship you. We exalt you. And we're all on our worship words have come out. We're in a worship high and we leave and we go and we get in stuck in traffic. And the next thing we know, we're cursing the cars all around us. We're just letting it fly. So the, 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 the tongue that worship an hour later is just letting it spew out. It, 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 we, we, we're laughing because we, we know it's true. And James says, this should not be. He says, you can't get two kinds of water out of the same spring. And you can't pick olives from a fig tree. And you can't pick figs off of grapevines. It's just not how it works. So listen, in the same way that a fig tree will only bear figs, and a grapevine will only bear grapes, true faith will only bear words that reveal the presence of Jesus in our lives. True faith, which is living out the presence of Jesus and is being transformed. It doesn't, listen, it doesn't mean there might never be a slip, okay? Hit your hammer, hit your finger with a hammer. But I'm just saying... Our, our, James is saying this should not be how we, how we live our lives. The presence of Jesus 
makes a difference. Now, maybe you've already come to the conclusion that I came to while I was studying this. The tongue isn't the real problem, right? The tongue isn't the real problem. The tongue is just a messenger. The tongue is the messenger of what's going on in our heart. So what James is really confronting is a heart issue. The tongue is used to formulate the words that are first being formed in our heart. It's about what's in us. And so as we're talking, as we're thinking, as we're trying to live out this controlling the tongue, we have to do first business first. God, will you help me identify what's in my heart that would cause this kind of speech, this kind of, these kinds of words to come out? It's a heart matter. So, from these 12 verses, we've learned that the, power, the tongue has the power to direct our lives. And from these 12 verses, we've learned that the tongue has the power to destroy. The tongue is capable of great danger. And I think we're learning that we should use our tongue, the power of our tongue, to bring to light to, bring to, light to God and to other people. It's a heart matter. It's this, listen, everything that we're working through in the study of James, it's not about behavior modification. It really is all about searching our heart, learning how to live in the presence of Jesus so that he is making a difference in our lives, and then everything begins to change by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. I want to give you some homework for this week. You're going to be put in situations this week where you're going to have to, um, uh, you're going to have the opportunity to choose how you speak. Uh, you're going to be put in some business meetings. You're going to put in some family situations. Maybe it's at school, uh, maybe just in your neighborhood. But you're going to be put in some situations where you have the opportunity to choose how you speak. Here's my word to you: I want you to think before you speak, and I want you to use the word "think." And here's what I mean: before you speak. Think, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? If we can put this into practice, you know what? We're all going to use a lot less words this week. We're going to use a lot less words. I was talking to someone after church and they shared something that they had learned um, uh, when they were involved in a ministry called the Stephen Ministry. And she said, we learned to ask three questions in any situation. First of all, does something need to be said? Does something need to be said? The second question is, does that something need to be said by me? And the third question is, is now the time to say something? Let's think about that. Does something need to be said? Does something need to be said by me? And is it time to say something? Because there's always a time and a place. And sometimes it's about waiting and letting the Holy Spirit do the work. Again, if we could put these principles into practice, we're going to use a lot less words. Now, I also want to give you something very practical that you can do as you're leaving today. Um, 
I want to give us a chance to, to use our words in a very positive way. And maybe for some of us, it's an opportunity to just redeem some words. Um, this week, uh, this past Wednesday night, um, it was necessary for Cammie's mom, my mother-in-law, to have to go to the hospital. She's 86 years old. She has Parkinson's disease. And um, she's just had a rough go for the past month. But in the past two weeks, she's had to make three hospital visits, two of those with hospital stays. And actually, she's currently in the hospital right now. Um, the, the problem that, that she has is she, is she keeps falling. She lives in assisted living. And they said... We're not sure how to handle this because she keeps falling and we're concerned that she's going to hurt. We feel like she needs to have a period of time where she's in in a rehabilitation facility to learn some things about her own balance. And so the process of that was that she first had to go to the emergency room so then she could be admitted into the hospital so she could have an assessment of her physical abilities so that she could then be placed uh, for a period of time in, in an assisted nursing, a rehabilitation facility to, to, to teach her. Uh, the problem that we encountered is when we were, I, w- I went to the hospital with her, and at the hospital, uh, as the, the ER doctor is working with her, and I'm explaining the situation that she needs to be placed in rehab, and knowing the process that that means a hospital stay first, he said, there are no beds. <clears throat> There, there are no, the problem is there's a waiting list of people to get into the hospital right now who need to be hospitalized. And then he went on to say, not only is that true here, but in all the hospitals in the region, there are no beds. There, there's a waiting list of people to get that need to be admitted into the hospital and there's no bed for them. He said one of our regional hospitals has a waiting list of 40 people who need to get into care in the hospital and he goes there are no beds now we could go into a lot of words about why what you think about that that's not my point okay i'm not interested in why we think the hospitals may or should or should not be full but the point is it became very real to me that um there are people who are working in our hospital, medical care professionals, doctors and nurses and technicians and all the staff, and they are overworked and they are overwhelmed and they are at their end. We have some of those in our own campus family, so we've had firsthand ex- uh, conversations with them. We have nurses here, we have doctors, we have hospital staff, and they've, they've talked to us about how weary that the healthcare workers are, and they need encouragement. You may have seen it when you came in this morning, but there was a tent outside with some tables, and there were cards like this on the table. What we're asking you to do, and please consider this, is when you're leaving today, if you would stop at the table and you would simply write a thank you card that will be delivered to the hospitals in the area, just to say, we recognize the sacrifice you're making, and we just want you to know we're praying for you. Uh, we love you. You're our hero. Whatever it might be, just some encouragement. Maybe it's a scripture that you would put on here. And then we'll take those, and we're going to deliver those to the hospital along with some, some goodie baskets that, that the staff can share. It's just our way of putting our faith to work, but you can help us do this. As you're doing it, and I'm counting on you doing this, great response after the first service, um, you're not writing, Dear 
someone because you don't know who this is going to. Or you're not addressing it to just a nurse or a doctor. It needs to be a little bit generic so that it could go to anyone who is a medical professional. Um, but again, just write an encouraging word. There was a, a retired doctor in our last service and he was writing his and he said, I just wrote it as if the words that I would want to hear. So put yourself in their situation. How might you want to be encouraged? It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be long at all. It could just be a few lines. But this is a way for us today to put our faith to work as we practice goodness coming from our words. So right, is everybody on board? Okay, well, you, get, you have that assignment. Okay, I want to pray for you before you go. Um, so if you'll bow your heads. Father God, thank you for your letter to us that was Holy Spirit inspired, written by James. I thank you that we're learning every week what true faith looks like. And I pray that we allow the presence of Jesus in our lives to continually transform us so that our faith can be seen because of the goodness of Jesus in our lives. I pray that over every person in this room. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, a question that I ask every week, perhaps you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never said yes to a relationship with Jesus. You've never uh, acknowledged that you believe that Jesus died in your place. He took your sins to the cross because your sins had separated you from God. And you've never, you've never confessed that belief. You've never um, asked him to forgive you of your sin. You've never said, Jesus, I want to live in relationship with you. And if that's you today, I want to give you the opportunity. And you can simply acknowledge that by lifting your hand and say, I, I just want to, I want to be able to walk into that relationship with Jesus. Is there anybody here? You say, I want to say yes to Jesus. Today. If so just lift up your hand and let your eyes catch my eyes. Is there anyone? Thank you, Father. Would you stand? Father, I bless us as we go. I pray that we could be salt and light. And I pray that we, by your Holy Spirit, uh, let our words be good and kind and pleasing in every situation we find ourselves in. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. Have an incredibly great week. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org. 